Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. I'm going to minister on something I've never ministered on before. <clears throat> and I'm going to minister on women. And I might need this Bible. I'm going to minister on women. I'm a little nervous here. <laughs> New territory. Not really. But I'm going to minister on women in ministry. And I'm only going to touch the tip of the iceberg today. I'm really not going to hit everything uh, that I should. And we have the recording going, don't we? Okay, because we're going to want this to be recorded, I can guarantee you. So praise God. I believe this is going to be a really, really a blessing. And so this is something I don't normally minister as a response to something. But sometimes when there are, and a lot of you already know where I'm going with this, when there are uh, religious leaders that say things that are so often so wrong, I feel it necessary as your, your shepherd here to take those things and address them and then bring some light and bring some healthy revelation concerning these things. And so I think that's just good shepherding on, on my part, amen, to do that. And uh, so we've been, last week I talked about just developing a culture of honor and honoring ourselves and honoring other people and what happens when a culture of honor is developed. And part of that I think is really important in particular in our culture and when you just look at society as a whole that women are in specific are honored. And the reason it's important to say that is because women have been so dishonored that we need to have, a, we need to have God's heart concerning it. And you find God's heart by going in, digging in the word and seeing what the word of God has to say concerning it. And just for the record, in case I don't officially say it, I am fine and for women being in ministry. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everybody say all flesh. Your sons and your daughters, everybody say daughters, shall prophesy. Here's the deal is that if God has placed anointing, he has placed gifting, he has placed ability, he has placed unction, he has placed a call on women, which the Bible tells us he has. If he did that and then said women are not fit for ministry, he would be an unjust God to put something in them and tell them that they can't use what he's placed in them. But I can tell you God has placed tremendous things in, in women and he wants them to be fully honored and fully operating in the function that he's called them to. And for a lot of you here, you might think, well, I didn't, I didn't know that this was an issue. And, and if you think that, I feel honored that you would think that because I don't have an, an issue with women in ministry. I, I can tell you this for certain, this church would not be where it's at without many of the women that are sitting in here today that have blessed this body. You have served, you have ministered, you have prophesied, you have taught, you have done all kinds of things. And so I'm going to do my best to show from the word, to validate the fact that God loves all people. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, three-ish, somewhere in there, it says that there is neither male nor female in the spirit. And I'm going to show you in a minute how God is both male and female. And even me saying that might make you think, oh my, is God really both? Yes, I'm going to show it to you from the word. But when Paul was saying that there is neither male nor female in the spirit, he was saying it doesn't matter what your gender is. And there are only two genders, by the way. It doesn't matter what your gender is, whether it's male or it's female, God can and will and wants to flow through you and use you to do great exploits in the earth for the kingdom of God. Can I get a big amen? Amen. So we're going to, let's turn here to um, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, and while you're doing that, 
Um, I just want to talk about, and I'm, I'm not going, I'm going to, as I talk about honoring women, I'm not going to dishonor the one that's been dishonorable. If you want to go look up his name, although I believe biblically, I probably have every right to call out the scoundrel who said the things that he did. And I'm just not going to do that because I'm not going to stoop to that level. But there was this particular man who has a huge following in the body of Christ, and he was asked a question about Beth Moore. Is anybody familiar with what I'm talking about here? So maybe a good a few of you are in here. And so he was asked the question about Beth Moore. And when he, when he was asked about that, he said that Beth Moore, and so he, the person said, tell me what you think about, and, he, and they said her name. And he said, and I quote, she needs to go home. So in other words, I, I took it as it would be better for her to just die and go home than to continue in ministry. The deal is, I don't, I'm not saying whether I like or dislike Beth Moore's ministry. I think she's done a lot of awesome things for women and for the kingdom of God. Bless her. But the issue is, is he brought dishonor to somebody in a public light. And I'm so thankful for Chris Volatin. For those of you that don't know who he is, he's one of the, um, the kind of Bill Johnson's right-hand man from Bethel Church. And he came out and he publicly addressed this and just as a dad and a father in the faith he was so loving how he did it but he called his comments demeaning because the guy that said it went on to say that women have no place in ministry there's no backing for them preaching or doing anything period end of discussion and I quote that's what he said and so then Chris Valentin when he commented on it he said that the comments were demeaning they were wrong they were not accurate and God has a place for women in the church and ministry in this world all of those kind of things and so I was so thankful that he addressed that but then I got to thinking as your pastor I need to, I need to take a stance and address you all and to talk about this together so nobody questions where I stand on the matter. And I don't think that most of you would, but I think it's really good to just clear the air and set things out so we're all on the same page. Amen. And so he, so he, made, these, he made these comments, and then he also went on, and I felt like this was very important to mention this. The man that's, that made the bad comments also went on to name Paula White. And when, when Liz and I were talking about Paula, this whole thing, and we were talking about Paula White in specific, I believe it was a tool, because this guy has such a huge following, it was a tool of the enemy to get people to not like and to dislike and almost to come against Paula White. And here's the reason why Paula White is so important. Whether you agree or disagree with Paula White and what she stands for and what she preaches and all that stuff, that's not the issue. But the issue is, is she is born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. And listen to this. She is our president's number one spiritual advisor. You don't think that the enemy would like to knock her off and in, in whatever? And out of some people, I've heard her say, well, she's got a checkered past. Listen, who doesn't have a checkered past? Who doesn't have issues? Everybody's got stuff. That's what the grace of God is all about. Amen? And so, and, and let me tell this real quick about Paula White, is that she, she, so she's being used so mightily of God. And as the story goes, that she was um, uh, picking up airtime in Florida, and when she was doing it, her people came to her and said, there's this one spot, it will cost X number of dollars. It was penny compared to how, you know, what kind of budget her ministry runs on. And she just said, no, just don't even worry about it. It was just a little spot in Florida. And then the Lord spoke to her and said, buy that TV airtime. So she bought the TV airtime. It was almost nothing. It was going to reach almost nobody. Come to find out, I believe it was in, within that year, 
formally, before he was President Trump, Trump was, was there in Florida, and he was in that section where if she had not bought that TV airtime, he never would have heard her or heard her name because he was in that spot, watched her on TV. The message she spoke struck a chord in his heart. He, his people got in touch with her people. They made a connection. And listen to this. When they made the connection, he, he was not a believer, didn't really know probably hardly anything about the Lord. She comes in and she said, I don't want your money. I've got enough of my own. She said, I don't want your fame. I've got enough of my own but I want your soul. Not like the devil would want somebody's soul, but I want your soul so it will belong to God, belong to Jesus. Amen. And so from that point, she has pastored and ministered Trump and now President Trump. And a big part of why he has and is becoming the man of God that he is, is because of Paula White. And so here you have this, this uh, honorably, I'll say buffoon, that said these comments concerning Beth Moore and then also Paula White, and it was nothing but a demonic attack, but at the same time, it brought complete dishonor towards these women. Listen, even if you don't agree that women should be in ministry, I encourage you to pick up your Bible and read it, and you'll find different things out. But even if you don't agree with that, it doesn't give us a right to dishonor any human being. The Bible says to honor all men. Amen. Let me tell you something that the Lord showed me. And I'm just going to, I wrote this down so I would quote, quote it right. When freedom is thought to be had, it has no boundaries. And it breeds a culture of disunity. Let me say it again. When freedom is thought to be had, it has no boundaries and it breeds a culture of disunity. Let me explain this a little bit to you. If you look, there are two major movements that are happening in our country. I'll say there's probably more, way more than that, but I'll, I'll pick two out. Two movements that are in our country that are happening that are totally without bounds at the moment, but the root of why they started was correct. One is the women's right movement. And when you look at the things that they are marching for, we've seen these quotes, they're literally marching for the right to kill their own babies. I mean, they're marching for all, all kind of nonsense, total nonsense. But you know what? The root of that, and I, listen, I love our country and I love our founding fathers, but there are certain things that they did not do that I think, my God, why didn't you have enough sense? The 19th Amendment, I believe it was, was the, was the thing that gave women the right to vote. Well, if women are U.S. citizens, they should have had the right to vote all along. That should have been a, a, a done deal, a done issue. And so what happened is that the women had to come in and they had to fight for their right to be able to vote. And because they had to fight for their right to vote, they had to fight for their rights in this country. They have the same rights as men. And they were the ones that obtained it. There, is, there has been distrust between women and the rest of the political system that's there. And so since there are no boundaries that have been set with it that are proper, and they had to, in a sense, earn their honor, earn their respect, earn their freedom, this is why you see the nonsense being marched in the streets. But all the while, the right for people to have rights, freedoms in this country, they absolutely have a right to have that right. That right should have never been denied to women. 100% that should have had the right. But when 
Freedom is thought to be had, or honor, respect is thought to be had. It has no boundaries, and it breeds a culture of disunity. Do you see what's being marched on the streets right now concerning those things? It's, it's not breeding unity. It's breeding disunity. Amen. These are important. There's important why I'm, I'm mentioning these things. Also, the other thing that I, I mentioned, one major thing that's happening. Here's the other thing is that we see the, the Black Lives Matters movement. How many of y'all know that that has gone to the point to where they're terrorizing the streets and they're burning buildings down and crashing cars? That's, that's not the way to, to get things done. But you know what happened is that however many years ago, you know, the Civil War took place and the Civil War didn't start with this, but part of what was about the Civil War was setting the slaves free. And then once they were legally free, they had another uh, almost 100 years of working to actually uh, capture and live in the freedom that was supposed to already be theirs. And so then we had, I think it was in the 60s, right, the civil rights movement that took place. All of that was correct, but because they had to fight for their own honor and their own freedom, it has created a culture of disunity in our country. Amen. Amen. Do you see where I'm going with this? Does this make sense? This gives a why to all the things that we're seeing going on in our country. And I'm going to tell you something else. This gives a why to a lot of the problems that we see in the church as well. When people feel like they have to come in, and, and specific women, I'm talking about this morning, and they have to fight for their right to do anything that God has already given them, but other people won't recognize that and allow them to have it, it breeds a culture of disunity, and there are no boundaries, and that's where you see things go completely chaotic and haywire. Here's the opposite. When freedom or honor is freely given, an attitude of submission and, and unity is nearly automatic. Let me say this again. When freedom or honor is freely given, an attitude of submission and unity is nearly automatic. And so I've found that when you have somebody, and I've found this with pastoring, is that when people feel like if they're going to get anywhere in their ministry underneath of a, of a, of a pastor and they have to fight for it, they'll never develop a, a trusting relationship with that pastor. But I have found that whenever a pastor, a minister, a leader over people will honor what God has placed in them, they automatically, almost always automatically will say, they'll see the honor coming down from the top and going down, and they'll say, Pastor, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I help your ministry? And what they're saying, and they don't understand it, is I see that you're going to help me, and I know God's got, got things for me, and I know you have things to help me, uh, live out what God's got for me. So how can I help you help me? Yeah. Amen. So when, all, when, when honor, when freedom is, is given to people, it automatically creates a culture of unity. You know what will cause unity on a, even a greater level in the church? Because see, I can't fix all the problems in the world other than just to pray and believe God that it'll change and we're going to do that. But I can fix some things in here if they need to be fixed. Amen. But this is just another level that if we will honor one another, it, it eliminates the need for people to feel like they have to compete for a position in the church. Because the deal is, is that we're all looking out for other people's interests instead of looking out for our own. My goal, my goal is to build a platform for you and your ministry and your calling and your life for your family and whatever it is that God's called for you. 
And do you know that your attitude towards me and everybody else in here should be the exact same? Your goal should be, should be to build a platform for this church and this ministry and for the people that are around you within this church and this ministry. If everybody did that, it would bring not only a level of honor and help one another, but our unity would grow because we would stop being afraid of the trust being broken because trust would be there because we're promoting other people instead of ourselves. Amen. Let me look here in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, I want you to look here with me in Genesis 2. And let's start in verse 19. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 19. Actually, let's start in verse 18. And it says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. All the men say amen to that. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs... And he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. How many of y'all know that this is when the woman was created? That is not correct. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. See, I tricked you there. Genesis chapter 1. Talk about creating a unity of distrust. I just totally tricked you. Genesis chapter 1. And look here in verse 26. Genesis 1 and 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them, ha- let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over, over all the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Adam had within him, now we, we just almost can't understand this, but Adam had within him both male and female. And if that's not enough, in verse 28, it says, then God blessed them. But there was only one person because we just read in chapter two that he separated them, right? It says, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. (laughs) So not only was there only one person, but two inside of the one person. Now he said, be fruitful and multiply. Everybody understands how multiplication happens? Shake your head like this. I don't understand that at all. I just know that that's what God said. I don't understand how all of that happened, but that's what God said. But if you go back and look in verse 26, he said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And then again, it says in verse 27, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. I'm going to tell you something. If you believe the word of God and you believe these verses to be true, you are required to believe that God is both male and female. 
You say, well, what percentage is it? I'm going to go with 50-50. I'm pretty smart, actually. And the whole thing, you know, he created Eve out of Adam's side, not from his front side and not from his backside. She's not supposed to be out in front, but she's also not supposed to be behind. She's supposed to walk, be out of his side, to walk side by side with him. That's another message for another time. But if you believe these verses, you have to believe that God is both because he created he, them, male and female, according to his likeness and him, his image, God is both male and female. I can, I can just see the headlines of somebody that didn't like that to be like, local pastor says God's a woman. <laughs> God is both male and female. True? So here's the deal, is that if it, with any culture and any group of people at any point in time, women, and I guess the reason that women have been suppressed is because physically they're weaker and they have a harder time fighting back. Now, there's areas where women are stronger. You know that women are actually stronger emotionally than men? You may not think that because you say, well, women, women, women cry more. Yeah, but they can handle more. I know that because I'm married to somebody, honestly, that can handle more, thing, more things emotionally than I can. They have strength. Women have strength in them that men don't have, and men have strength in them that women don't have. And if men had been suppressed... This is what Chris Bolton said when he was talking about the whole women's right movement. And he, wasn't, he was not agreeing with how they were doing it at all. He said how they're going about trying to be free and say women have rights and everything. He said it's totally wrong. But he said they have been suppressed. And he said this is how they act out. He said if men were the ones that were suppressed, there would be violence beyond measure. There would be killings. There would be all kinds of things. So in a sense, in that sense, thank God, I guess it was women because maybe we have less people murdered because if it were men, that's what it would be. But God doesn't want anybody to be suppressed. God wants everybody to be free people. So any church or group of people that would suppress women and say they don't have a place, they don't have an anointing, they don't have a calling, they don't have a, a ministry, I believe if we could understand this, the body of Christ fully would activate not only the men in the army of God, but also activate the women in the army of God. We need a full resurrection of what God says concerning who his people are and what he's called them to be. Amen. Amen. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. If you don't believe that God's male and female, let me show you something else, and this will really clear it up. Look here in Luke. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Man, I love this. Luke 15. And this starts in, in verse 1. And it has three, and really all the way to the end of the chapter, it has three parables that are listed in here. The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep and the shepherd that went after the one, left the 99 and went after the one. How many of y'all know that the one is us? Praise God. And Jesus is well, and he was the shepherd, and, and the parable was speaking of him being the shepherd. And then I don't want to hit the next one, but I want to hit the third one real quick, and it's the parable of the lost son or the, the prodigal son. How many of y'all know that the lost son represented us and the father who was waiting and looking afar off with open arms, waiting to receive the prodigal son back in? The son represented us, but the father represented the father, the father, God Almighty, the Lord. Amen. 
So here you have this picture happening. And look here in verse 8 of chapter 15. It says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? You go and look up this word woman here. You know what it means in the Greek? It means woman. It means not a man. It means a woman. They specifically used the terminology of a woman. Jesus did that. He spoke that if a woman, and it compared the woman who lost something to being God who lost something. Now, why would he say that? Because God is both male and female. Look at this next verse. I don't know if you guys are thinking or I'm just not saying it good. I don't know, but that, I just, amen. Look at verse 9. It says, and when she has found it, oh, I love this. She calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me, for I have found this peace which I lost. There's, there's not a man that would do that. Oh, I, I, have my, I lost my coins and I, I just want to tell you that I found it. Sometimes I'll come home and Liz has got Five Marco Polos. Some of you use that, that app, the Marco Polo app. It's a, it's a voice video thing going back and forth. And she'd be talking about stuff, and I'll listen to her, and then I'll listen to the, to, the, to the woman on the other end, and I'm thinking, who cares? <laughs> I mean, they talk about shoes. They talk about, you know, and this is why, why men, when you come home, and your, your wife is like, how was your day? What did you do? Who did you talk to? Who did you have lunch with? Who did you, all these questions. And men are thinking, my God, I just want to lay down and just chill out for a minute. We're wired so, so differently. But just reading this, it tells you if this is comparing God to a woman or a woman to God, it's saying that the emotions, that the thought patterns, that the ideas, the estrogen that's in a woman, that that came from God. And God said that it was good, and he blesses women in the ministry. He blesses women in their lives. Amen. Let me show you this even a little bit more. And let's go here and look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'm just going to take a few more minutes here, and then I want to pray. For, I actually just want to pray for the, for the women today. But Luke chapter 10, and I have to tell you this very quickly before I get into this. When we talk about Judaism... It's been very confused, but however many thousands of years ago with Moses and the law, God gave the law, and he gave the law to the Jewish people, right? And then for however many, a couple thousand years, I'm going to say, they lived underneath of that law. Malachi was the last Old Testament prophet. Actually, technically, John the Baptist was Old Testament because he was before Jesus, but anyways, the last major prophet in the Old Testament was Malachi. From Malachi to Matthew was 400 years. Judaism, as was known in Jesus' day, did not develop until after Malachi, but before, before the book of Matthew, before the Gospels were written. And within that time period came the Pharisees and came the Sadducees. And you know why they're called the Sadducees? Because they're so sad, you see? So, a few chuckles makes me feel good. And so anyways, during that time period, the religious leaders under the new order of Judaism, it wasn't the old stuff, they added hundreds of laws to the commandments of God. And when you read this, you'll see this language in the scripture, there's the commandments of God, and there, I'm sorry, the law of God and the commandments of men, two totally separate things. What the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, well, mostly the Pharisees, operated underneath of 
were the commandments of men that they developed kind of based off of the law, but it really wasn't the law of God. And they added all kinds of things in there, and there were over a hundred, listen to me, a hundred laws, commandments of men that were given, that were given specifically to oppress women. So when Jesus rolled onto the scene and he was there to free the oppressed and to set the captives free, there was not one person in that culture that was more oppressed than women. They were the most oppressed. Here's the deal. And I want to say this before I forget it. There were three people in the New Testament, specifically in the epistles, which were not the apostles' wives, but anyways, those are the letters to the churches. There were three, it's an old joke, it's not even that funny. Three people that were being written to, there was the Jews, the Romans, and the Greeks. The Jews oppressed women. That's how they lived. They treated women as, um, as property. They were something to be owned. They used them for, for sex and making babies and taking care of the house. Honestly, I've met some men that pretty much think the same way about their wives, which is a total, complete shame. If you don't understand the value of what God has given you, my God, open up your eyes, men. If all you see your wife is for someone that when you come home, that she washes your, your, your clothes and sets a plate. Listen, Liz has set the plate out for me maybe 10 times in our marriage. I'm probably because I'm taking care of a kid or something at that particular moment. So whatever, we don't even do that. But that's, if you do that, that's okay, whatever. It's not a problem. But I have learned to honor what is inside of her. I am literally half the person without her. And the same could be true the other way because we've learned to honor one another. And it has nothing to, has everything to do with our genders, but yet it has nothing to do with our genders. I'm so glad she's a woman. So thankful. Okay, get off that track. But I honor her because of who she is and how God has made her. That's the part that I love more than anything else. So the Jews, they, they, they treated women as, as property. They treated women as something just to be owned and just, and, and whatever. And it was actually illegal. And I'm going to show you, this, show you this in a minute, how Jesus did it different. But it was illegal for a man, a Jewish man, to teach the woman, a woman the Torah, the law, the, the first five books of the Bible. It was illegal. Not, it wasn't just culturally wrong. It was illegal for them to do it. And yet you'll see here in a minute how Jesus did it. So the Jews, they oppressed women. The, the Romans... They, they recognized women, but, and they gave them freedoms, but it was very limited. They really didn't recognize women for, for who they really were. But here's what's interesting. The Greeks worshipped women. And you, if you go and you study Greek culture a little bit or whatever, they often, probably all of them nearly, had female uh, gods, goddesses. And they, they worshiped the female body and all, all of these kind of things. And then, so they were, as far as from the Jews to the Greeks, they were completely opposite, culturally speaking. And here's, I want to say this real quick before I get into where I was going, is that there's this big stink about the things that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, where he, he talked about that let a woman keep silent. And then he also wrote to Timothy, and he said, don't let a woman uh, teach teach in the, in the church, and, and have rule over a man. And he combined those things together. I want to propose to you a thought, and you can do with it what you want, and you can do study on your own. 
But the only people that Paul, the only groups of people that Paul dealt concerning women coming down were Greeks. And it's because they elevated women past beyond the point of where they were supposed to be. The Corinthians were Greeks. In fact, in fact they were so saturated with the sex culture to Corinth means to something like have orgy or something like that. I mean, even the name of their city was named after it. It was, it was bad. And then Timothy, when he wrote to Timothy, Timothy was the head leader, the head shepherd, pastor, apostle, whatever he was, over the church of Ephesus, which was also saturated with Greek sexual culture where they uh, idolized women. Those are the only two places where he gave any correction towards women. And if you look beyond that and you study Paul's writings, he honored women and even in one instance in Philippians, honored by name, called out women who labored with him in the gospel. You can't tell me that women aren't anointed to preach. I've heard women preach that I think, my God, that's awesome. We just listened to, we are at the minister's conference. We were talking this morning. This lady named Audrey Mack. Oh my gosh, bring the house down. Powerful. It wasn't her. It was God flowing through her. If God's against women in ministry, why does he flow through them? Because he's not. That's exactly right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want to show you this here in, in John, Luke, excuse me, chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to hit this really quickly. You all getting some things out of this? Everybody say, thank God for the ladies in the house. I knew that was coming. All right. Luke 10 and 38. I want to talk about Mary and Martha for just a moment. The, the, the story and the women of Mary and Martha and their relationship with Jesus was really awesome. Luke 10 and 38, it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now remember, it is illegal for Jewish men to teach a woman the Torah, to teach them anything, really. And it says in verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So in other words, Jesus was teaching Mary. And some people would say that Martha didn't learn anything, but I'm going to show you different in just a moment. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Listen, in that culture, no woman would ever speak to a man and say, you tell her to help me. There was something going on here different that Jesus had with these women, and he was honoring and helping to elevate them. You know, the Bible says, tells men, it says, to love your wives. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You know what's interesting about how Christ loved the church? It's using a picture of the bride and the groom. And do you know that Jesus is married to the church and that he has elevated us to the highest level of authority and given us full and complete power. And then Paul writes and says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Man. Jesus. It says in verse 40, I think I read that already. Yes, verse 41, it says, And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. But do you know that Martha, and I'm going to show you this here, just one second, that Martha, when Jesus said that Mary took the good part, which was to sit at Jesus' feet and to learn, 
that Martha took that instruction from Jesus and applied it. And I'm going to show you here in Luke chapter 11. Go over to Luke chapter 11. I'm in Luke 11, aren't I? No, John chapter 11, excuse me. John chapter 11. Look here in John chapter 11. And look here in verse 1. Notice this. And then we're going we're gonna to jump down to verse 17. But look at verse 1 here. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of, of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. For the writers, the gospel writers, in, the, in this case John, to write that the town was Mary and Martha's town was a total slap in the face to their culture and how they viewed women. It wasn't Lazarus's town. It wasn't whoever else's town. It was Mary and Martha's town. Why? Because Mary and Martha had been sitting at the feet of Jesus and had been learning about who Jesus really was. Look here in verse 17, and I want to read this real quick. We know this, this section. It says, so when Jesus came, he found <clears throat> that he had already been in the tomb for four days. And actually, if you go back and read it, Jesus knew he was going to die. He waited till he died <laughs> so he could raise him from the dead. But that's another thing for another time. It says, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. How did she know that? She learned. 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me. Though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. And if you look it up in the proper tense, it's saying that she already had believed that. Again, she had, she had already put faith in the words that had been spoken to her because how many of y'all know you can't believe something that you haven't first heard of? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ and the Son of God who is to come into the world. Now look here in verse 28, and it says, and when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly, secretly, why did she secretly do it? Because they were not supposed to be communing and fellowshipping and learning from Jesus on that level. It was illegal. Secretly called to Mary, her sister saying, not the master, not the savior, but the teacher has come and is calling for you. You don't want to know what Jesus thinks about women and what he thinks about women learning and what he thinks about women in ministry and what he thinks about women doing powerful stuff. Jesus doesn't do anything. Jesus didn't do anything that didn't have purpose behind it. When Jesus was ministering to the women, and you can, here's what's interesting. You go and find Jesus' ministry. He's so, he was so sneaky in such a good way. He ministered to women so much in his ministry. It was amazing. When you look at it through the scope and you go back, you see how much Jesus ministered to women. 
And I got a whole reasoning why I think that could be. But part of it is that I believe he was making a stance to say the oppression that women have been living underneath of is not right. And he knew the scriptures well. He wrote the scriptures. He spoke them. And he knew that the sons and the daughters would prophesy. That the spirit of God would be poured out on all flesh. Amen. Jesus was preparing not only the male portion of his bride, which sounds really weird, but we're all Jesus's bride, but he was preparing the female portion of the bride, his army, the ones that would take over the world for the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. We cannot do what we need to do without women. We can't do what we need to do without men, but we need women as well. I remember this... (laughs) I was watching, you ever seen that movie, uh, something about Maverick and Mel Gibson in it? it a, he was a card shark or whatever in the movie. And he's sitting there talking to his dad. I'll never forget this. And his dad was, there was a beautiful lady there. His dad was just blanded on thick with this lady. And he said, women are just so wonderful and so amazing. If it weren't for you, we wouldn't be here. And Mel Gibson looks at him and he said, well, that's stupid. If it wasn't for men, we wouldn't be here either. And so... <laughs> I always thought that was funny, and it's also very true. And so anyways, we need both men and women, but praise God, I believe we're coming to a place where we don't have to go over these things anymore, and you will know firmly after today where I stand concerning women and being in ministry, being a part, and and fulfilling the role that God really has for them. Amen. Let me look at one more verse here in Luke chapter 7. Go back to Luke chapter 7. I love this I love this story here. It's an amazing thing. Luke chapter 7. And it's interesting. When you see so many times in, when you look at like the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000, it would say 4,000 men, and then it would say, and women and children. 5,000 men and women and children. I would think when we read it, sometimes we read it, there was 5,000 men and women and children. But it could be read like this. There were 5,000 men and women and children were there too. And what were they doing when they gathered together? They weren't just there to eat. They had been going for a long time. They were without food. What had they been doing? Listening to Jesus teach. Look here in Luke chapter 7, in verse 36. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew, and this particular type of sinning is talking about sexual immorality. It says, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered. Notice he didn't even ask a question. Jesus just knew his thoughts. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. (laughs) Famous last words. Verse 41, it says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, Simon, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to, to, and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, a man. You gave me no water. 
for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Now, culturally, that would be acceptable. If I told Liz that some woman had been kissing my feet all day when I came home, she would probably be a little upset and rightfully so. In the culture, though, it was okay. Verse 46, it says, You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man to even forgive sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Notice how many times he said in there, this woman. You didn't do this, Simon, but this woman did. You didn't do this, but this woman did. You didn't do this, but this woman did. He didn't have to add woman in there every time, but he did it. I'm telling you to make a point that God honors women, that Jesus honors women, that he thinks the most of women, and I believe that we need to as well. Let me read you a quick list. And in fact, it's a quick and it's a short list of things that women have done for the kingdom of God. And this is starting back in the Old Testament. I'm going to read through these very quickly. Deborah was a prophet and was also a judge to the nation of Israel. Notice that she was a leader. She was a judge. She was one that was sat in a place to hear from God to give verdicts to people. Miriam was the sister of Moses and she was a prophet and she was a worship leader. Rahab the harlot was considered a hero of the faith and one whom God gave and kept his word to. Hannah was the devoted mother of the great prophet Samuel. She was directly responsible for Samuel's love for God and his training in the things of God. Bathsheba was the mother of Solomon, who was the wealthiest man in the history of the world. And Solomon also wrote the book of Proverbs and devoted Proverbs 31 to his mother Bathsheba because she was that powerful of an influence in his life. Esther was used to save God's people. Sarah gave birth to God's promise, Isaac, at 90 years old. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist, the greatest prophet outside of Jesus that ever lived, at least up to that time. Mary, of course, is the mother of Jesus, our Savior. Look how God used, and it couldn't, it couldn't have come any other way, but God used a woman. Martha and Mary were the ones, as we just looked at, who were taught by Jesus and referred to and he referred to Bethany as their town. Mary Magdalene was the first person to see Jesus after the resurrection. Jesus had 12 disciples. They were all men. At the point of the resurrection, he had 11 because Judas had hung himself. He had, at that point, 11 men who were disciples. And if you go and read, Jesus kept giving all these inferences, kept giving all these things to show that in three days he was going to go into the grave and in three days he was going to rise. There was all of these prophecies. There was all of these types and shadows to point in that it was going to happen. They were at the temple and he said, this temple, I'll destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. It was, of course, a type and shadow. It was a picture of what he was going to do on the cross and come out of the grave and raise up the new temple, which is, which is us and all of that. And he would live inside of people, all of that. He gave all of these pictures to these 11 really, really wise men. But yet they weren't so wise because not one of them showed up on the third day to see that Jesus' words were and the prophecies were really going to come true. You know who was there? A woman. Mary Magdalene, the one who had, I believe it was seven demons cast out of her. 
because she'd been into all the things that she'd been and picked up some stuff or whatever, Jesus set her free. She was the one that was standing there. She was the one that went and first saw the resurrected Lord and went and told the other disciples about what had happened. And God uses women, amen? Let me give you a couple more. I'll give you one more. Priscilla, the wife of Aquila, who helped, it sounds like a rap song, but anyways, Priscilla, Aquila sounds like a woman's name too, but anyways, it was a man and a woman. Priscilla, the wife of Aquila, who helped explain the way of God more accurately to Apollos, who became a great minister himself. And so there you have, and some people say that Priscilla was an, was an apostle, was a pastor, some say a teacher. We don't know about all that, but we do know this, that God used her mightily to affect Apollos' life. Man, God uses women. Let it be settled that whenever you hear some goofball and Thank you, Jesus. I probably shouldn't even say goofball. I want to stay in honor, but he is. He's a goofball. That would say things like they would say, demeaning against women like that. We need to take our rightful place. Stay in honor towards those people. Don't come out and lash out and do a bunch of goofy stuff. But we need to know what's right and that God has absolutely called men and he has called women to do ministry and to fulfill his kingdom, to fulfill the Great Commission, to work in the church. Hallelujah. Amen. And when we understand that God honors both men and women, that will help us rightfully find and define the position that he has called us to. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And I think that this is important because we're going to have more women teachers that are going to be teaching in this upcoming year. God's got a few that he's going to just release in here a little bit more. And so you just need to be ready to receive. And if you believe that, that the Bible, who in here believes the Bible, then you believe that one half of God is a woman, right? And that he honors women and that he flows through women and that women are in ministry and can be in ministry and should be in ministry and should be used. Then when you hear a woman minister, just like when you hear a man minister, you should take their words and go and compare it with what the scriptures say and let God take their words that come from the Holy Spirit through them and minister to your heart. Simple as that. Amen. Would you stand with me for a moment? And I want to just do something here real quickly. And I, just, I just want to pray. I thought about having all the women come up here, but I, think, I don't think I want, to, I want to do that. But I just want to, I just want to pray over the women in here in specific today. And... I believe that not only will you find a level of freedom that you don't have to worry about making a name for yourself, that God sees you and this church and this leadership in this church sees you and, and sees what God has on your, your life. But you're not going to have to march for your own rights. You're not going to have to, man, you just love God and love people and watch what God does. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If you're around um, a woman and just especially if actually probably just better mostly for, for women, but if you've got your wife next to you or your husband next to you or something like that, just reach your hand over on their shoulder and just, just lay your hand on them and just begin to bless them. If you're near a woman and could just stretch your hand towards them, however that works. But I just want all the women to just be blessed. And so, Father, we just agree in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that this is something in OCI. 
that, Lord, we will come into greater understanding because, Lord, you, you created us male and female. God, there is a difference between men and women. There are things that men are wired to do that women are not, and there are things that women are wired to do that men are not. So I thank you that this is not about elevating women, but it's not about elevating men, but it's about us finding our place. It's about us finding our, our identity in you. And then, God, we find our function in you, but in our function, we don't lose our identity as in you. It's in Jesus. It's in our sonship. It's in our daughtership. But God, I thank you that the women in this church from this day forward will never question whether they are called by God, whether they are anointed by God. I thank you that you have called them to be mothers. I thank you that great revelation, I'm just speak this forth in the name of Jesus, that great revelation is coming to us concerning what women's roles really are. That God, the spirit of the world, the spirit of the age has corrupted what God has said and what God thinks about women as being nurturers, as being teachers, as being as being uh, very prophetic, as having the great intuition tuition as being that that tremendous helpmate all of those things god i thank you that it's coming back to what god says about women and father i thank you that it's true about men as well but god i thank you that that we're finding and discovering why and for what reason you've created women i thank you that there are women that are arising in this church to fulfill their god ordained destiny in their life and father i thank you that they would never be ashamed for what you've called them to do God, we thank you that what's in women is the ability to care. That, God, you have placed that nurturing thing on the inside of them. And, Father, for many of them that are just staying at home, they're not just staying at home and taking care of the kids, but they are raising mighty men and mighty women to be sent out to fulfill the Great Commission, to lead productive lives. And, God, I thank you for the moms, for giving them tremendous wisdom to raise their kids, to raise their families. And, one, God, the ones that are called to preach and to teach and to prophesy and to do things and to lead. God, I thank you that they would fulfill that in the right time, in the right way, and God, they won't have to fight for it because you speak over them. You say things over them. And Father, I thank you that we take this in healthy balance. And God, we look to you for more understanding, more wisdom in this, but the culture and the, the age we live in is not going to elevate women like the Greeks, and it's not going to, to demean women like the Jews, but we're going to see that they are an equal part to the Godhead and an equal and important part to this church and ministry in our lives. And Father, we thank you. We bless these ladies. We thank you that their fellowship is sweet. We thank you that the, the culture of their home looks a whole lot like the kingdom of heaven. We thank you for wisdom in raising kids. I mean, I just hear that some of you are asking for wisdom in particular areas with your kids, whether they be young or old. Father, I thank you for wisdom in raising their kids, wisdom for raising their families, wisdom for loving their husbands who are not lovable. God, thank you for wisdom, for the heart to stick with the man even when he's not necessarily worth sticking with. I thank you for giving them the wisdom, the insight, the ability to do it. And Father, I thank you for any woman that would, not that they are abused, but if they are being abused, that God, you show them how to come out from underneath of that because you haven't called anybody to live a life of abuse. Thank you, Jesus. God, we just thank you. And we bless every one of these awesome, mighty, powerful, anointed Women of God, full of the Holy Ghost, full of the gospel. They're movers, they're shakers. And we thank you that they are productive in the kingdom of God, productive in their homes. We bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.